Dotnet Rocks episode 801 with guest Jonathan Rosenblatt. Recorded live Thursday, September 6th, 2012. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks, Carl and Richard, and we're back, we're back, we're back. We're here, we're there, we survived 800 shows, let's go on to the next 800. Oh my god, alright, well, um, we don't really have too much small talk to say, except we want to see you on the road trip. Oh my goodness, I have, my inbox is out of control, there's a lot of email when you want to do a road trip. That's yeah, and the tweets are flying too, so if you don't know what we're talking about, we're doing another road trip, we're going to 34 cities. If you go to .netrocks.com slash roadtrip.aspx or just click on the road trip icon, you'll see where we're going. You'll probably find a city near you on the list. Because we're going everywhere this time. We've, we've I've got nice emails from folks saying, I'm so glad you're getting up to Minneapolis. It's awesome that you're you're coming to Rochester. They're just we're the trip's so big this time we're able to fit a lot more places in, uh, you know, some further away spots. I'm really excited about it, even though I know it's three months on the road for you and me, my friend. Now here's the fun thing. What Richard and I are gonna do, because we're hiring a driver, we're gonna sit at the table with our roving Wi-Fi, and we're going to be planning the European road trip. So if you're, <laughs> if, if you can help us with that, Europeans, give us a jangle and let us know how you can help. Yeah, that's where we're planning to go next. Yeah, spring next year. If the wives, you know, if we're still married at the end of all that. <laughs> The good news is, I mean, we are on the road for three months, but there are a couple of breaks in there. Yeah. So we'll have some chances to, to have a stop, go remind our children what we look like, and then come back and continue. Uh, we run um, across the U.S. Thanksgiving. Uh, we're going to DevReach in Bulgaria. There's and there's the- a few we're not going to. We're not going to Dev Connections. We're not going to or Dev, and we're not going to NDC yeah. well, next and, year. For various reasons. For so. various reasons. So, uh, and NDCs, just because it inter- it's at the same time as our daughter's graduation. Yep. Both of us have daughters graduating yeah. in June, so that's going to be a problem. Ordev is just in the middle of the road trip, so we, we couldn't make that, but uh, we want to. We'll be there in spirit. Oh, yeah. Don't worry. We'll, we'll do something fun. All right, enough of this silliness. Better know framework. Hit me. You better. What do I need to know, my friend? I'm thinking you better. Uh, well, you know, we're talking about Azure today, yeah. and uh, as you know, we're... On SQL Azure, .NET Rocks database on Indeed. SQL Azure, and want to know how to make a backup copy of my SQL Azure database. So I went bing in, and I found uh, Arshad Ali wrote an article, and I tiny URL'd it, tinyurl.com slash Azure Backup, which he tells you how to make a, a backup of your database with a simple script. Create database, AdventureWorks copy, as copy of AdventureWorks, go. Interesting. Because, of course, supposedly Microsoft's maintaining multiple copies of your database anyway. Mm-hmm. So this is just more. Yeah, it's the as copy of clause followed by the source database name. That's it. Cool. And he also has some code, uh, some script up there to monitor the database operation. So that's nice. You can actually see see it happening. Good things. We All right. I am enlightened. You are wise. So, who's talking to us, Mr. Mr. Campbell? Well, you know, you know what's funny? I mean, I love our comments engine, and it's great that people are writing comments and so forth, but you don't always realize there, there's sort of waves that come around certain shows where a new comment storm will start up, and I, I just found one uh, on show 784, and that's the one we did to, uh, about with Uncle Bob about the future of object orientation. Oh, yeah. And it lit off a huge conversation, uh, different people talking back and forth to each other. But one of my favorite comments here, and this is I mean, admittedly a beefy comment, but a good one. And this comment comes from Asif Stone, who says, hi, guys. First of all, I'd like to ask, whom should I send my doctor's bill to? Oh, thanks for all your derailing comments. I am now in stitches. I mean, come on. 
meat space problems <laughs> and hookers as a metaphor for inheritance. I, I like that one personally. <laughs> it's a good thing you went for a commercial break right then and there because it took me a few minutes to catch my breath and get my car back down off the <laughs> signpost. I don't think Uncle Bob ever had so much fun in his life either. We had a lot of fun that show. Seriously, you should start putting warnings out on episodes like these so that people know when not to drive and listen. <laughs> To the point, a major question that came up was with the start of this show was, what's next for object orientation? And you guys pretty much agreed that what it is, it doesn't need to evolve. I think you're wrong. What I believe is the next step of OOP is that developers need to learn to use it properly. Hmm. As a consultant and an instructor, I come across far too many people who believe that inheritance means tall trees, where a premium customer is a customer, is a person, is a primate, is a mammal, is a multi-celled organism. Hmm. These are the same developers that believe that if an object is responsible for itself, it means that every operation that runs on a customer should be in the customer class, and they are wrong. Yeah. The object tree is merely an academic example used to explain what inheritance is. In most courses, the professors don't tell us, or don't even know, that it's just that, an example. You can't write viable products like that. And, uh, you know, SF, I, I've got to agree with you. Yeah. We've learned not to use inheritance. These days, I think composability is a far better approach. Encapsulation, absolutely. Yeah. And well, and recognizing that the component models of all that stuff works. We like polymorphism. We like encapsulation. We've learned that inheritance is the path to hell. Uh, I just don't think we've updated our documentation to reflect it so much. Uh, but he's not done. He says, likewise, a class should be thought of as a noun-verb combination, not just a noun. Rather than dog, you may have a dog walker class whose single responsibility is to walk a dog, a report displayer, a student persister, or a customer describer. That last one would be considered the default class and just named customer. Its attributes are, of course, the fields, and its operations are its accessors. We often forget to consider the getters and setters as operations because we now have properties that disguise them as attributes. Mm. Uh, and, and a valid point there, because let's face it, properties are actually methods. It's just, in some ways, we just confuse things when we made them into properties. Uh, once again, thank you for the great, great show. Listening to Uncle Bob is always a pleasure and always illuminating. I hope you deem me muggable. SF. Muggable. SF, very muggable, and a mug is on its way to you wherever you may be. Uh, I'll be in contact with you to fix that up. Uh, you know, one of the reasons we have such a good time with Uncle Bob is that we tend to pick the right recording time for him, too. I believe we did that show right in NDC, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. And so face-to-face, -face, after a long week, everybody's a little more relaxed. A little punchy. And we had fun with it because yeah. it's, a, it's a challenging topic, actually, and you got to take it at a lighthearted point of view. And he so has a lot to say. He does have a lot to say, and he thinks about this stuff a lot. This was a guy that's been at the center of all this mm. and at the center of the Agile movement and now the software craftsman movement, just a really illuminating guy. Mm -hmm. So I was, it was really glad to get back and talk about this again, and a mug is on its way to you, Asaf. And if you'd like a mug, just write a comment on the website at donnerrocks.com. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online with almost 300 hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts. 12 to 15 new courses every month, and uh, they give you a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access to their library. There's a wide range of developer courses, including coverage of iOS, Java, Android, web development, pretty much everything on the Microsoft stack including Windows Azure, 10 courses on Windows Azure, and all sorts of things like this. So try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And with that, let me introduce... Let me say it again without clicking. And with that, let me introduce our guest, Jonathan Rosenblatt. Jonathan is a technology advisor with Microsoft Canada, focused on aiming developers, architects, and development managers with the information, skills, and tools they need in order to leverage the power of the Microsoft platform in a world. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he spent, notice how all those movie trailers start with, in a world. He spends his day talking about the cloud, Windows 8, and Windows Phone, blogging on the Canadian Developer Connection blog, is the host of online shows such as Developers, 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 Live and Interactive, and the Align IT Manager Tech Talk, and chatting with Canadian developers in the Canadian Developer Connection group on LinkedIn. Welcome, Jonathan. 
Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. Um, I love Canada. I love Canadians, obviously. There's one Canadian very near and dear to my heart, but uh, we don't get to... I wonder to... who my dad be. <laughs> it's uh, Jonathan Goodyear. So anyway, we... Uh, <laughs> we uh, <laughs> anyway, every time I go to Canada, I just meet so many great people uh, in the in the Canadian Microsoft community up there. And um, so it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Now, before before we do go on, though, um, just going back to your comment earlier about SQL Azure and backup databases and stuff like that, um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of copies up there, but, you know, that doesn't actually excuse you from doing your own backups. Just right. wanted to put that out there. True. Right? right? Like, I don't know about you, but I, I know everything in my house is triple backed up and then backed up to the cloud because at the end of the day you can't trust anyone right so if you right. have multiple copies of everything chances are somewhere somehow at least one of those will remain should something happen that's the method so. that i use at the studio i make multiple copies of things and then forget where they are so you know but you know <laughs> well yeah fortunately I mean, theory, I can... you, want, you want to remember where you actually saved your backup yeah i but. keep forgetting that part jeez it's always something yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> well, technology can only solve so many problems. I have a, a great little program that I wrote called WAMF, Where Are My Files? And uh, all it does is it's a little daemon that sits as a Windows service on all the machines, and it logs uh, names of files and directories and uh, hard disk IDs. And all the hard disks in my uh, enterprise are labeled. And we have a lot of portable hard drives, right? We ha Not portable, but... We have a lot of docked USB 3.0 docking stations, tons of them. So we can take hard drives from somebody's session or a video project that we work on. That's all on one hard drive. So that gets a label and that goes in the, you know, on the shelf. So sometimes it's, you know, where was that file again? It's just easy to run this little, um, web script that looks through all the data and it's pretty fast and easy to identify. Ah, I know exactly where that hard drive is. He's spoken like a true developer where, you know, to solve such problems, instead of, you know, trying to figure out how, you know, one would actually, you know, build it into their mind to do, yeah. you just say, hey, you know what, I'm just going to build an app for it. That's I'm going to build an app to adapt to my bad habits. <laughs> <laughs> Filing discipline? What's that about? Yeah, I can no build kidding. a tool for that. Right. Super well, at the end of the day, I mean, that is not the the beauty or the the gift that we have as developers that we can actually do that. So, you know, rather than trying to evolve our brains, we just, you know, when you to some that might be lazy, and to others it might be effective. Well, you know, it's just a matter of what we want to be thinking about. I think I like there it. Is, I love I love being able to choose. write little things to compensate for my lack of uh, uh, discipline. <laughs> and at the end of the day, our brains only have a finite amount of, um, you know, space to store stuff. So ultimately, you pick and choose what you're going to store in there. Everything else, um, you outsource to other places. <laughs> I love that. I love the way we put that. <laughs> we were just talking about that too with Rob Connery and Scott Hanselman. So, so let's talk about the all new Azure. Now, which part of it? There's so there's so much of it that's actually new. What is the coolest thing to you about the new Azure? Okay, fair enough. Um, I'd have to probably say, um, and it's actually interestingly enough because it only came out last week, um, whereas a good chunk of the new stuff for Azure came out back in, in the beginning of June. But right. um, Azure Mobile Services, honestly, like you couldn't have made working with the cloud any easier. And in fact... You know, I was saying before about there's only finite space in your head to store things. Well, you know, now you can go ahead and update your app, um, the one that's storing your, your files or your file listing stuff, and, and, and use these services ridiculously easy. It boggles my mind. I mean, developers were basically come out, coming up and saying, hey, you know what? Um, yeah, that Azure thing, it's, it's kind of hard to use. And we're like, oh, really? So we said, okay, fine, we'll take your word for it. Um, and then, sure enough, out comes uh, mobile services. And now, um, let's just say within a couple of lines, I can store um, data back and forth in the cloud. Yeah, that's when things get ridiculously easy to do. 
So everything in Azure, especially the new stuff, is cool, um, but definitely not as, um, from a developer's perspective at least, definitely not as cool as this stuff. So dynamic tables. This is um, pretty much. This is very un-Azure-like, don't you think? Very un-SQL-like. Ah, well, therein lies um, an interesting conversation in, in and of itself, where most of us are so used to thinking in you know the SQL world and the relational world, and the you know I must have fixed schemas, and otherwise the world is going to fall apart, and and so on and so forth. And yeah, table storage was sort of like the beginning of that, and now. Um, you know, with mobile services and, and dynamic schemas, that just gets, you know, even interesting. Of course, though, the likeliness of abusing that goes up. But I'm hoping that, you know, people using this stuff will use it wisely. Um, you know, just because it's dynamic and powerful doesn't mean that you abandon all uh, developer practices. That goes back to your uh, OOP conversation from before. Right. And Windows 8 only, right? For now, um, even though that's just because the the SDK for Windows 8 is the only one that's out, but but it's still REST that, based. So yeah, if you wanna... exactly. Everything is is REST in the background. So you want to plug it into your iOS app, or you want to plug it into your, um, you know, into your iPad app or Windows Phone apps. Go right ahead. It's just you know the SDK obviously makes it that much easier to do it. Mm-hmm. But they'll come. Um, it is in preview right now. So the basic idea is. Get something out there, get you guys playing around with it, kind of seeing what it's like, um, getting feedback on what is, what's cool, what's not cool, what's missing, what should be there, um, and then go from there to add on the additional SDKs after that. So is there any reason why we have to stick to mobile apps for this? I mean, it's, it's well, just a REST see, storage API that's schemaless, right? And this is the part that kills me, right? Um, I, I can honestly tell you, I'm sure there were some smart people um, who came up with uh, the name uh, Mobile Services, and I get it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, everything is coming up to being device-based applications, you know, mm-hmm. Windows 8 on slates and, and tablets and so on and so forth, and then the phone devices. I get it, but there's absolutely nothing preventing you from using it for regular desktop apps or Windows 8 store apps or anything like that. So it's a bit deceiving, I, and I get that a lot, especially as we're going around doing the uh, the Windows Azure dev camps now across the country. I get that question come up every time I say mobile services. They're like, well, do I have to stick to mobile services? Uh, there's nothing in there that specifically says that you have to do that. So um, just kind of go with the fact that it's a name, but as with everything else that we have in our developer tool chest, um, you know, you can use it as you wish at the end of the day. Wow, that's a bad name. Sounds like it's a cool <laughs> technology, but just a bad name. Like that's that's frustrating. Well, uh, yeah, uh, I I kind of I kind of get it too. I mean, I'm with you. I uh, uh, any developer who understands the nature of the web is going to say, uh, yeah, you don't have to use it just for a mobile device. It's a it's a REST API. But uh, but I think you know Microsoft is all over this tablet mobile thing. Well, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Richard, aren't you like the guy that's going around uh, these days saying everything, hey, everything's becoming tablets and everything's becoming devices? I'll, I'll say I'm a guy, but yeah, I just think that the fact that certain people are going to look at mobile services and say, well, this product I'm building right now isn't mobile, so I won't look at this, it, that's a bad outcome, right? Like that's To me, that's a big deal. Like, you we're so busy triaging what we need to know because there's so much to know that when you stick a label like that on a product so that I just walk away from something that clearly could have helped me, that makes me sad. Well, and I think to, you know, Richard and my generation, we're just a little sensitive to marketing blending with technical descriptions, you know, when, and that's clearly what, you know, used to be these uh, services would be technical in nature. And so you'd understand what they are from the name. Now, it's very. It's more and more difficult to understand exactly what's going on unless you look into it a bit. I guess that's why you're listening to the show. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's just in preview. So we, you know, you never know what the final name will yeah. be called. I mean, the functionality it will probably stay the same, but you know what might happen between now and when preview is over and it goes full out, uh, you know, availability. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Yeah, maybe we can fix it. There you go. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. 
who have controls for Windows 8 already. They're looking for beta testers for their new RAD controls for Metro. You can request an access code at Telerik.com slash Metro to get access to the industry's first control set for building apps for Windows 8. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Now, Carl, I know you want to talk about virtual machines, so I'm going to mm. give you I'm going to give you permission right now. Yeah. To go down that path, my friend, because I know it's on your Do mind. It. Well, you know why Do it's it. on my mind, of course, is because um, not too long ago, my ISP decided to shut down without telling anybody. And nice. yeah, it was great. And I still, to this day, haven't gotten a phone call. I've only got sparse text messages from the guy who runs it because I think he's ran away with his tail between his legs. But needless to say, isn't that your first problem there that you're talking to a guy? Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, there was there was several guys, but you know, it was very convenient for me because it was right across the hall, and um, they had a a very high bandwidth fiber optic connection through uh through a local provider and and it was literally a thousand feet from the co so it was just a wonderful opportunity for me to string a a cable across the ceiling drop it down into the data center and boom i'm right there so anyway um but i had to move my servers of course and you know every time this out because they've burned us a couple of times with power outages and didn't have generators and stuff and uh, you know, every time I'm like, God, geez, got to move to Azure, got to move to Azure. And, and of course, you know, and I know it's not that big a deal to move um, ASP.NET websites, but we do a lot of stuff with storage. And I, I know that that is sort of something that has to be rewritten because you can't just like open up a file, give it, given uh, file permission to a local file directory or whatever, open up a file and write it. And we do a lot of that stuff. We do a lot of moving around of files. So, so it wouldn't be a trivial move. You know, it would require some work. So what I really like is the virtual machine because guess what? Both our websites and um, our databases, our local databases, are running in virtual machines, and they're already there. And I would love to be able to just upload them and say, stand these up. And so now... Well, technically you can. I can. Yeah, there's a couple of uh, a couple of steps that you're going to want to make sure that you do there, though, in terms of, um, you know, making sure that the actual um, virtual machine is fixed, right, as opposed to using dynamic disks. Um, if you've done that and you've sysprep them so that they're sort of generalized that way, then you can actually go and upload the VHD, tell. Uh, Windows Azure, hey, here's my VHD, and you're off to the races. Yep, they are fixed. And they are sysprepped. Well, there you go. So that's uh, that's the next step. Now, the crazy part about it is that if you have your virtual machines as sort of like um, templates, if you will, of what your infrastructure needs to look like, um, you can actually, when you upload it, you can actually tell um, Windows Azure that rather than ran- running just the one machine, you actually want it as um, an image in the virtual machine gallery. Hmm. And then every time you go in there, um, and you say, yeah, you know what, provision me another one of those. And then, huh. you know, within, uh, you know, a relatively short amount of time, and certainly relatively compared to having to do it, um, you know, having a person having to go out and do it and so on and so forth, um, you have your server up and running configured as per your template. Right? It, it, it's mm. mind-boggling how um, simple it becomes with that gallery piece in there. Now, here's another question is, what if you want to, you do have to have a fixed disk, but what if you want to expand it? What if you run out of space? Well, you can either add in additional disks right. um, or bring bring down the disk, resize it, and put it back up. Yeah. I suppose what you can do is, since you can stand up more than one, you can make a copy of it, resize that disk, bring that one up, and turn the first one down, Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could do whatever whatever combination uh, works best for you. That you know, you have with with virtual machines. Unlike um, cloud services, you actually have that ability to have the full control. Right. Right. Whereas cloud services, it's kind of like you know these protected VMs that there's only a portion of it that you can touch, so you can't really manipulate it that way. But you know, virtual machines, they're your virtual machines. Go nuts, do as you please. Right. But it also strikes me that. 
we ought to be able to work inside of the website role as well. I just like the idea that we could stand up the virtual machine, get everything up and running, and then start experimenting with standing up website roles. But I guess I want to know, what are we winning if we do that? Well, but keep in mind, at the end of the day, um, a cloud service or a website role or a web role is actually a underneath the covers, mm-hmm. they are actually one and the same. Right. It's still a virtual machine underneath the covers. It's just you don't have um, as much access to it. I mean, you could technically remote desktop into it, mm-hmm. make all the changes that you need that way. Um, the only problem that you run into from there is that when you're going to scale up and down your, your infrastructure, if you've gone in to make changes into your virtual machine, or sorry, your cloud service by RDP, and you haven't scripted that, you know, every time you scale your servers, you're going to have to go in and manually make, make that change. So that's not cool. That kind of defeats the purpose of, you know, this, this whole um, idea of automatic scaling. But having said that, whatever tweaks you make after you've, you know, you've played around, you've decided, hey, you know what, this is good for me. You can actually basically take those and say, okay, I'm going to script it all. And, and IIS is great uh, for scripting mm-hmm. PowerShell. Um, and all that fun stuff. Script it all out. You add a startup pass to your cloud service, and boom, you're done. So you've played around with your virtual machine to get the settings exactly the way you want and your your infrastructure to work exactly how you want, and then script it all out, move it over to a cloud service, and then boom, everything becomes easier, and you don't actually have to worry about the virtual machines anymore. Which, I yeah, I think that's very cool, too. I'm also wondering about, from the expense perspective, I, do, do you think the VM role is more expensive than a website role? Well, keep in mind, all of the all of the pricing right now um, is, at least for virtual machines, because they're still in preview. Right. It can change. As of right now, they're one and the same. Right. Um, but, you know, who knows? When it comes to full availability, that might change. It may not. I don't know. Um, but, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, they should be relatively the same. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a question. You said that it is in beta. Um, well, actually, do you re- I said it's in preview. All right, but it's the <laughs> same idea, right? It's not quite baked. So do you recommend putting production servers up there now and letting a rip, or would you want to you know, put something up there maybe as a backup only? So here's here's my take on that. I do get that question a lot. Um, and it really comes down to, I think, how much risk you want to take as either a company or a developer or whatever. Um, am I saying that this stuff is uh, wonky and it breaks and stuff? Absolutely not. It's, it's rock solid. But at the end of the day, it is, in fact, preview. So it may or may not change. Don't know. Mm-hmm. Having said that, if you're comfortable with that, and I know a lot of startups that I work with, um, and a lot of smaller um, organizations, they'd be, you know, they're like, yeah, you know what? So if something breaks and I'm down for a little bit, I'm okay with that. If that's your approach to it, absolutely go nuts. Put everything in there as if it was production. And and personally, the more you treat it as production, the more you'll get comfortable with the platform. Um, but also, you'll you'll get to learn all the different nuances. Um, so that when it is, in fact, ready to go production, you've already figured all that out. You're not sitting there trying to say, well, okay, well, now that this feature is out and we're ready to go, only now we're going to start playing with it. And it's been right? up since June. Has it gone down? Absolutely not. Well, okay. Um, you know, and, and so I, I and, and by down, it's always subjective because is do the machines go up and down for service? Well, yeah. If you have two machines that are load balanced, will anyone notice that they've gone down? No, because that's the point. Right. Um, has the data centers gone down? No. Right. But it all depends on what you define as um, your SLA or what you're looking for um, to deliver for right now. If preview is good enough, then you're good to go. And if it's not, you're not comfortable with it. Use it then as your your testing or your staging fun place, treat it as if it's production, but don't necessarily send your users to there. That way you can actually see uh, what it's like to operate in that environment. 
I mean, it's fair. You know, it's, it's a it's a reasonable circumstance for all, for all of this. We are you know, some degree experimenting. And I, I kind of tend to think that our listeners might be annoyed if we're down for a day or so. Um, you know, if it's, if it's like the day a show is supposed to come out and, you know, they, they're not listening to us on their commute because it's down. Yeah. I think I'd be annoyed. Yeah. But keep in mind, in your case, you'd never, you'd never have only one virtual machine or cloud service running at any given point in time. So even though one of them, uh, might be, you know, uh, I don't want to say down, but let's say not servicing properly. You still have, I would hope that when you go to set this infrastructure up, you, you would have at least one more virtual machine or at least one more instance of the cloud service that's running it. Users would never know any different. Yeah. And that's actually kind of the point of this stuff, right? Sure. It's this whole, this whole idea that, um, if you add at least two, but the more you add, the less likely it is that anyone will ever see a disruption. Mm. Yeah. And so what is the process? Do you actually upload your VHD? Yeah. If you're preparing your own VHD, you use a little tool that comes with uh, the Azure tools. It's called CS Upload. Mm-hmm. Um, it converts the, the VHD for you into a file format and package that um, Azure knows and, and knows what to do with, and right. then it uploads that for you. That's if you want to bring your own server. But if you want to just create a blank server from, uh, you know, and start from scratch, you can actually skip the whole upload part and then go straight to the gallery, go in there and say, hey, I want a Windows Server 2012 uh, virtual machine. And then you're off to the races. You fill in a couple of details in the wizard, kind of like, uh, you know, computer names and, and, um, uh, DNS names and so on and so forth. And then it goes off and does the entire, you know, the entire provisioning process all on its own. So it's up to you if you want to, if you want to bring your own or you just want to use the one from the gallery and build from scratch. Sounds awesome. Hey, we're going to talk pricing in just a minute, but first, Richard, you know what time it is? Must be that happy time it's again. It's that happy, happy time. One of my favorite times. Yes. Yeah, halfway through the show. You know, every, you know, I keep thinking this we got to have some music some sound (laughs) effects in here like the car talk guys you know all right well anyway we'll work on that but it's time to give away uh telerik devcraft complete collection telerik is generous enough to let us give away one of these on every show it's everything they ever made and you know or everything that they sell uh and a lucky member of the dotnet rocks fan club right now is going to win it and that lucky member is ryan stedman Congratulations, Ryan. Golf clap for you, sir. Ryan, you are the guy today. Well done. Woot. Woot, woot, woot. If you don't know what we're talking about, go to .nerocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff graphic, which is in the upper right-hand corner, and uh, fill out a few forms, and that's it. You know, just you you could win. And every year in December, we're putting together our crazy geek out pack, $5,000 worth of technology. We don't know what's going to be in it because it's not December yet. I think we're going to be talking about this on the road trip itself. And I imagine we're going to have many suggestions from very interested fans of things that we can give away. We're open to any suggestions. However, Richard and I will be the final pickers. Yes. But go ahead, send us an email, .nerox at franklins.net. What would you like worth $5,000 as the ultimate geek toy? Jonathan, what would you like as the ultimate geek toy? Well, um, that's a tough one. I think at this point, I'm still going to have to default uh, to Surface for now. All right, but you have five grand to spend. What would you buy? Technology. Okay, so... That would be a Surface device with a with a sixty inch television that I can hook it into so that I can do my code. Nice on only sixty, a only mere sixty. Well, dude, you only gave me five thousand to work with. <laughs> yeah, but you can get a sixty inch television for a grand. Well, it's, he's also wow. got to buy the Surface, right? Well, okay. You know, we are really, you that know, is. now you, you're going down the right path. What about that 84-inch touchscreen? Oh, The, the yes. Super Surface machine. Okay, oh. you know what? You're right. I, I'm going to switch. I'm going to switch, and I'm going to say that one for sure. Well, yeah. we build our own version of the 84-inch touch uh, tablet that you hang on a wall. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, I like that. That's a good idea for today. And then when, and hmm. when you touch it, then do pop-ups of you and Carl come out? But- you know what I was thinking is <laughs> five big screen TVs so that they could surround you. Nice. 
Wouldn't that be nice? Style. A 360 degree monitor. Right. And then you turn them all into white mode and cook food. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. Uh, hey, uh, speaking of free, though, since yeah. you're giving out free stuff. Yeah. Um, the, the crazy part before when we were talking about ver- um, mobile services and also we can't give virtual machines all the love without talking about websites, yes. which happen to also be free. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that's something worthwhile mentioning in that, um, hey, to get started with this stuff, there is actually a, a free version. So granted, not for cloud services and not for virtual machines, but if you just want to get up and running with a website or a web service that isn't, you know, you don't need the the complexity of managing the underlying infrastructure and um, you just want to put that up there, well, that's what you have websites for and happens to be free for the first 10 websites or in the mobile services is free for the first 10 mobile services. So talking about free stuff, that's uh, like talk about uh, an awesome way to get started in the yeah. cloud yeah. and then kind of figure your way out from there. And in terms of the not free stuff, let's talk about what uh, what these new services cost. Well, so websites for now is free. Um, that may or may not change after preview. Don't know. Um, but websites is free. Mobile services is free. Um, the only caveat with the mobile services, of course, is that it uses an underlying um, Windows Azure SQL database, which is only free for the first 90 days when you're using a trial. Um, and then you start paying for that one. Um, and virtual machines are right now the same as the cloud services. So, um, you know, what if that changes or not, don't know. But the beauty of it is, I don't know if you guys noticed, but like every, I don't know, little while or so, um, the prices keep going down. Sure. Um, so every time someone asks me, hey, what does it cost? I'm like, you know what? I can't even keep up with it. So I send them to windowsazure.com. There's a pricing calculator on there. And not because I don't want to memorize all the prices, like, you know, how cool would that be if I had the entire billing model for Azure memorized in my head, but it changes so often I can't keep up in a good way, not in a bad way. And it always seems to be going down. Exactly. Because I, so, I did get a tweet from Kerry Street. He was concerned about the website's pricing being going from free to like $80 at tier one, you know. Is there? I I can't find any confirmation of his eighty dollar number. Like, what? Where we have talked about pricing around websites? Um, there is there is pricing on the site for websites. Mm-hmm. Um, where it could be, and I don't know the specifically the eighty dollars, but where it no longer is free is when you switch from um, websites that are in the shared multi tenant environment right. to reserved websites, which effectively are in, in your own isolated space. Right. That you do start paying for. And technically, I mean, if you scale it all the way up, um, you could probably get there. Um, but again, that's why I always send everybody to the calculator so that you can, you know, the play with the funky little slider right. um, and come up with what it's going to cost. Surfing the web? Yeah, you ever try to surf the web on your phone? It's a little small. Especially when you're looking at a big list like the feature list of Active Reports. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we've been using it for 15 years. You know, the coolest new feature, I think, is the new Silverlight Report Viewer. What's cool about it, of course, is it's both native Silverlight for printing, but it's also got PDF support. So that really minimizes the amount of data that has to come over the wire. Makes it a lot more efficient. Well, we've been looking for a good solution for Silverlight data viewing. Yeah, it's a great product. I, I think I'm going to order it. Not on that. No, not on here. I'll go to my desk first. Active reports from Component 1. Smarter components for smarter developers. In the reserve mode, the starting price for a small uh, website with one instance is fifty-seven sixty uh, a go. month. But, a month. Yeah, and the, and the only problem, of course, here is that there's, uh, there's all the other ISPs and stuff that are offering websites for $10 a month. So yeah. there's a bit of a jump from free to the well, sort of and, first you know, year. Everything's free until you start getting traffic and then they want to talk to you, right? If you're burning exactly. up real bandwidth, then it's an issue. And at the end of the day, you have to compare apples to apples. Um, you know, a lot of times when, when people do look at Azure and they're comparing, um, you know, Windows Azure to a traditional ISP, all of the underlying stuff that technically is rolled into um, 
that cost is overlooked because you're thinking, well, a website here and a website here. Yeah, sure, if you're looking at just the website, but everything on top of that, the ability to scale up and down, the uh, the patching that's done for you, the, the all the networking configuration in place that's done for you to maintain the the safety and the security of your site, that's all rolled into the Azure prices that you're paying. Um, and technically, those are, you know, they, they call them the enterprise features, even though it's a website. But at the end of the day, that has value. And more often than not, you only realize that that has value when things have gone wrong with your ISP. Mm-hmm. So, you not know, that that I, ever happens. I, that never ne- happened. No, never, never heard of that happening. Never. That doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> especially, especially after having been an ISP myself back in the day. Um, yeah, you know, like it's, it's huge difference. Um, you can't compare the class of data centers that, um, your website would be on within Windows Azure to a traditional ISP. So not saying one is better than the other. All I'm saying is compare apples to apples and actually go underneath to see what makes up that price yeah. before you make the judgment call of whether that's a steep fr- price for a website. That's fair. All right. Let me uh, poke you hard then because it's time. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. When are we going to be able to run more of this configuration, these options on-prem and choose to move to the cloud when we want. Like, I noticed finally, finally, I can run Service Bus on-premise. Because it was originally a serv- an on-premise product. It was just called .NET Service Bus. Then the Azure team mm. stole it from us <laughs> and made us have to have Azure accounts, admittedly, at incredibly low prices. It was a steal to run Azure Service Bus. It cost almost nothing. Mm-hmm. And it overcame certain problems. But I've got customers where... The the place we want to run the bus is not got external access. There's just no way to do it. And now that bus, once again, is available to me to run internally. I'm all excited. That makes me happy. Give me more. There's more. always in service bus. Well, there's always, yeah. That's where I had to go is go third party yeah. in those circumstances. But I'm thinking there are still a bunch of features like the mobile services and so forth that make an awful lot of sense. If I can run it on-prem too, I can use it in a whole other way. Wasn't there going to be an Azure in a box that they would deliver to your uh, ISP? Yeah, whatever happened to that? Yeah, the Azure appliance. Yeah, that's a very good question. I wish I knew. <laughs> yeah, I think that died a slow death, basically. I think it just never happened. That was one of those things, like you know, know, the twenty or five, twenty-five languages that they announced with Visual Studio when it came out with .NET. You know, just to allay the fears that you know all these languages are now obsolete. <laughs> hey, can and com- some compare of those languages things. are making a comeback. So yeah. Oh, there were some crazy ones, though. But, um, you know, the majority of people will write in C-sharp and VBNet. Yeah. But, I mean, Richard, to to go back to what you were saying, have you looked at Windows Server 2012 yet? Yeah, I have. And and clearly for me, Server 2012 shows an awful lot of Azure thinking being pushed into server. There you go. And, in fact, they're they're calling it the cloud OS. Right. Um, Now, there's, there's... Actually, really cool videos on the on the Windows Server launch site. Um, I think it's Windows-Server-Launch.com, um, where they go through and all of the thinking as to how you go from on-premise to the cloud and back and forth, and how Windows Server 2012 enables all of that. So that's probably where you know where I would say you're going to start. Um, and probably the only other thing I guess I could say at this point is stay tuned to see what happens in the next little while. But Server 2012 is by far that first step to get those two worlds on premises and cloud hmm. just coming right back together so easily. And I imagine that you'll be able to take server server twenty twelve images up in Azure before too long. You know, before too long well, after can, it ships. You can uh you can provision Windows Server twenty twelve uh image today in Windows Azure from the gallery. Oh you can. Yeah. That's the it's the August um they call it in the gallery. It shows up as Windows Server 2012 August awesome. uh, 2012. So you could you could go ahead and do that right now. Um, wow, that's know, great. And, and as as they continue to update the the operating system, so on and so forth, they'll update those images as well. So you could start Windows Server 2012 in the cloud, build it that way. You could start it on premises, build it that way, move it up to the cloud. And here's the kicker. And this is something that. Um, I said this at one of the dev camps and some of the sysadmins that 
um, you know, kind of play a dual sysadmin and dev role, um, just draw, drop their jaw at me. And I said, hey, so it's great that you can start VMs in Windows Azure and you can start them on premises and upload them, but you can actually also bring them back. Ew. And they're like, no, you're, you're lying. I'm like, no, no, really. Um, the VHD that runs in Windows Azure for the virtual machines, you take that, you bring it down, back down to your data center, you tell your, um, you know, you tell your Hyper-V there to run that VHD and you're done. Oh wow. my God. Uh, yeah, excuse so me. I have to get a tissue. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I this had talks a very to? Similar response. Yeah, this talks to cloud as a disaster recovery strategy. I run my VMs locally. I keep a copy in the cloud. If I go down locally, I flip over to the cloud or, and I can still get back or vice versa. Or I right. Have, I have an, another scenario for you. Take a situation where, um, you know, you run your application on premises most of the time. You know, you're going up for, let's say, a huge spike of traffic or, um, you want to do some work on your data centers, whatever. Move it into the cloud at that point. Redirect all your traffic there. Do whatever you want in your data center. When you're ready, you bring it back and you redirect from Windows Azure back to on-premises. Sure. So you can actually scale out for when you need it and then kill it all together. And most people look at me like, no, no, you're, you're kidding. I'm like, no, there's nothing that says that you need to have your um, either your cloud service or your virtual machine running in Windows Azure all the time. Right. Right. I'd love for it to be, obviously, um, but the the idea is you have that flexibility to know when it makes sense, and ultimately, when it makes sense is what is the most important. Well, and then we get into this VM wrestling. The thing I like about the VMs is we all understand them, but when I put on my IT director hat or my CTO hat, I say, VMs represent the lowest level of potential of cloud. Absolutely. In the sense that I still own the OS, I still own everything, which on one hand is a strength, but it's also a cost. I have to be responsible for the care and feeding of all that stuff. I want my infrastructure as a service, uh, uh, but I really want to get to platform as a service. And I, I think you guys are the only guys who could do it because most everyone else is steering away from this. It's either full up software, you buy your product and you use it all cloud, mm. or it's the bare metal thing. I, that middle part seems to be the huge potential. I'm just wrestling with, are we there yet? Well, you know what? At the end of the day, relative to everything else, platform as a service is relatively new concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and some still are, you know, are working their mind around it. But ultimately, like you said, as you're thinking about building applications and you're building, you're thinking about the infrastructure required for them, you may not be able to get to, uh, platform as a service or in, in the case of Windows Azure cloud services mm-hmm. right away. You might say, you know what, it's unfamiliar territory for right now. Um, let me start off with a virtual machine, or let me start off with just a website, and eventually I'll grow to using um, cloud services. And more importantly, um, what I always tell developers is, you know, it's new stuff. Like, granted, to work with Windows Azure, if you know C Sharp, you know VB, you know Node.js, you know PHP, you're good to go architecturally, there's some stuff to understand. Yes. So if you're not there yet, that's cool. Start off with either websites or virtual machines. And then as you're building your application, pick and choose little things that you can either switch out. So, you know, Carl, you mentioned in your application, you write to yeah. uh, the file system. And on this the is machine. what I was thinking. So, if those would be great for VM websites, but the other ones that are just, you know, ASP.NET websites, you could just move them over. Exactly. Or even in that particular application, keep your application on the virtual machine for now because that's what you're comfortable with. But in the next iteration of your application, think about switching out that um, that writing to the hard drive piece and replace that with blob storage. And boom, there you go. Now you've used another part of the platform, but there's nothing that says you have to use all of it all at once. And in fact, you really shouldn't because it's a, it's an evolution. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, you slowly build up to it. Of course, unless you're building net new applications, I mean, really there shouldn't be, you don't look at the other options, but if you're migrating an existing application, don't migrate at all. Go step by step, service by service. They can each be used individually. So you're good to go there. And eventually you'll get to platform as a service. And then you'll realize 
um, you know, the true scalability and the true value of, of the cloud. So in, on the developer SDK front, besides the mobile thing, um, are there any new sort of hidden gems that we haven't touched on? From a, from a tooling perspective, the only thing that's changed is that it, things have gotten easier. Functionality is pretty much the same as, as it's been in the past, but working with it will become a lot easier. The wizards that are in um, Visual Studio, for example, to deploy and to to publish applications have become easier and more straightforward. Um, you know, I'll give you one example. It used to be that in order to publish from Visual Studio, you had to go, you had to create all these certificates, blah, blah, blah. Um, and eventually, after a whole bunch of configuration, you can publish from Visual Studio. Now you go into the wizard in Visual Studio, and if it's your first time doing it, it's like, okay, cool, what subscription do you want to use? Um, and it actually reaches out to the portal and after you've logged into the portal, you can actually download your settings into Visual Studio, and it, and it configures everything for you. Yeah, so just great stuff. Not too much new functionality, just way easier to use it. Right. And there was one other thing is that uh, Microsoft is very proud of the fact that you you can't you don't just have to host Windows virtual machines. You can host other operating systems as well, right? Ah, uh, yes. Ah, uh, yes. This is this is the kicker. And I don't know if you guys saw. Um, when Mark Rusinovich did the virtual machine talk at, um, TechEd, you know, he goes in or no, sorry, it was at Learn Windows Azure, uh, or Meet Windows Azure, one of the two. Anyway, so he's up there on stage and he's showing virtual machines and all of a sudden he goes into the gallery, um, and you know, you see all of these Linux builds on there and all of a sudden, like the, you kind of, you kind of heard in the background, the, uh, the crowd is like, what, what wait the? a second, what just happened? Yeah. What? And that more a- importantly, Mark actually called everybody on it and he's like, yeah, um, it didn't get hacked. You actually do see Linux on there. Um, yeah. and the truth is that comes from, from the promise, if you will, that at the end of the day, it's, it, it would be difficult to assume that every enterprise or every small business or whatever is using all Microsoft stuff. Even though that'd be cool. Um, it, it's just not the reality. So rather than saying, well, you can only use Windows Azure if you're using Windows stuff, what the Azure team has come back with and says, hey, a virtual machine is a virtual machine and we love them all. So why don't you use um, our data centers to host non-Windows uh, based images? And there you go. And you still get all of the um, back end benefits of, of Azure and the data centers in the cloud. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You get, you get the Azure data centers. And, and everything you get in there, the security, the networking, so on and so forth, but you don't have to go changing all of your stuff over to uh, Windows Server just because you want to run in Windows Azure. The exact same thing is on the dev side. Just because you want to use Windows Azure doesn't mean you have to use .NET. Um, you know, and the tooling that's there, you, you know, there's even tooling for Eclipse, right? So it's like, you know what? Choose whatever, use whatever you want. Um, as long as you're using Windows Azure, all is well, right? But at the end of the day, we're not going to force you to go one way or the other. Um, you know what works best for either you skill-wise or your application. Wow, it's amazing stuff. And, uh, yeah, the, uh, the, the bringing the server back thing was probably the jaw dropper for this show for me. Bring the I VHD back I down to your data center. That's pretty yes. freaking amazing. And, and, to be honest, um, probably unique to cloud platforms, whereas um, some of the other ones will kind of basically say, hey, once your virtual machine is here, it's in our proprietary uh, technology, um, you're basically locked in. So where do we go? Do we go to windowsazure.com, and is there a special portal that we need to go through for the, for the VM stuff? Is it hard to find? Not at all. Actually, if you're on the windowsazure.com site um, and you already have an account, then you can actually log into your account, which takes you into the portal. Um, you go into your account management, and you'll see a little tab on there that says preview features. You go in and you say, I want to try virtual machines. I want to try websites. I want to try media services, or I want to try uh, mobile services. And then you get a nice little email after a couple of minutes saying, hey, you're good to go. All of a sudden, you get a brand new spanking new HTML5-based uh, portal that you can manage all this new stuff uh, from, and you're off to the races. 
if you don't have um, an account, all of the new trials that are being created have most of those turned on already. And if it's not turned on, then you can go and request it in the exact same way. All right. One more question. And this is a dumb developer question. Richard, you could probably answer this question. But if I, if I have uh, stuff in my data center or even in, you know, my house for that matter, I have a VHD and I want to move it up to Azure. Do I have to get new certs, new security certificates for those websites that I want to use HTTPS on for the Azure stuff? And if I make copies, you know, if I have more than one copy of that server, do I have to have a cert for each one of them? Well, if you're if you're bringing it up as a virtual machine, you're literally taking an image as is. Everything comes along with it. When you go into the websites in the cloud services world, things are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, the SSLs would have to be recreated. Um, but, you know, it, the nice part is that you can do all that in the portal, too. So when you, so one of the benefit of virtual machines is that you can just you, you don't have to get new certificate uh, certificates for security. Well, it's exactly it's your machine. Yeah. Um and that's actually the beauty of it and and the beauty of bringing your own VHD with you. Um a lot of times even um uh, forget sort of certs or forget um settings if you have stuff that's already installed and you've installed it in the exact same way that you want it, you take that and you move it up as opposed to having to reinstall everything and reconfigure everything. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like parties have bring your own booze. This is like bring your own VHD. Is there anything we need to know from a DevOps perspective? And maybe, Richard, you could chime in too. But, you know, like I say, I'm just a dumb developer. I've got a machine running. It pretty much takes care of itself. Um, is there anything else that I need to know if I'm going to move a VHD to Azure? Well, you're, you're going to want to look at monitoring um that's for sure and if you're if you're already running system center then the new system center system center knows how to look at windows azure um machines now which is kind of nice so that you can manage on premises and uh cloud vms all in the one uh you know one console um or you could of course either build your own monitoring the azure management apis that run um, all the virtual machines have the ability for you to hook in and read data from the machines if you wanted to roll your own. Um, or there are third-party uh, partner products that you can buy that will do that for you also. So yeah. you know, just one of the things that I, I usually say to people, and, and for whatever reason gets easily forgotten, and I don't know why, but just because you move your machines to Windows Azure, and yes, you have an SLA, um, and yes, you're you're taken care of from an infrastructure perspective. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't continue to monitor. Right. Um, there's a whole bunch of different things that you should be monitoring. You should be monitoring your application, hmm. not just the machine. Right. So none of that changes. Like your usual coding principles for DevOps doesn't change. Mm-hmm. The only thing that changes is the location of where your application is. Wow. And a lot of people kind of forget about that when they move stuff over thinking that, well, if it's in Windows Azure, it's just going to be taken care of for me. Which is true. If yep. the machine goes down, it, it will be, um, you know, a new machine will be created, you're, and that will come up and, and, you know, reconfigured in the load balancer so that your users don't know that that's happened. But that might be something important that you want to happen and uh, or want to know and log so that you could maybe build some logic into the application for retries or stuff like that. So none of that changes just because you're in the cloud. That's cool. And, uh, well, this is great. Great stuff. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for sharing this hour with us. It's been enlightening. No problem. I mean, it, the, the part that kills me is that um, what people thought of Azure before, Yeah. Um, it's almost like, and, I, and it sounds like from your voice, obviously I can't see you, but it sounds like you're having that same aha moment that I have the pleasure of, of seeing every time I do a Windows Azure dev camp where people are like, yeah, you know, this is a different Azure than what it was before. And now all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I can see myself in this world. You know, the cynical part of me says, well, they finally caught up to Amazon, but in terms of what they offer, but Amazon was first, you know, of course, but given the two, I would much rather have my stuff in Azure because this is my platform, right? Windows is my thing. So I, you know, I love the dev tool support. I don't like the fact that it's, yeah, I, I like the fact that it's not fragmented. Like they're talking to me as a .NET developer. I love that. 
Yeah. And that and that really goes into the design of every single part of the platform. Yep. Not to not to sound cheesy, but that is actually one of the um sort of like the, the differentiators that I'm hoping that developers as as you look at the platform and see the functionality, you kind of keep in mind that while some functionalities may be the same, mm. think about how you have to work with them because that yep. also costs time and money. Absolutely. And that's the big one. All right, man. Thank you so much. We got to get out of here. Awesome. Thank you, guys. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Hey, thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 minutes of free video training by guests on .NET Rocks and other experts in the field. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.